Welcome back to the It Starts With Us podcast. I'm your host, Dami, and before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you again for listening to the show and sharing it with your friends, families, colleagues, and so on. It really helps podcasts to bring awareness about the issues discussed and what is being done to create change. To learn more about each episode and know when new episodes are out, please follow us on Instagram at It Starts With Us Pod. That's It Starts With Us P O D. Also, please leave a rating and review on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts so that we know what you guys think and if there's anything that you'd like to see more or less of. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I'm beyond excited for this episode because we are going to be hearing from two people who work with the African Ancestry Neuroscience Research Initiative. And for all of my pre-med friends or STEM friends, anyone interested in public health, I think you guys are going to love this episode. Um, So... Before we get started, I'm just going to have my guests introduce themselves. Oh, great. I'll start. Uh, Reverend Dr. Alvin Hathaway, uh, born and raised in Baltimore City. Uh, I served in uh, ministry. I'm the past emeritus at Union Baptist Church, uh, which is uh, one of the historic African-American Baptist congregations, not only in the city, but in the state. Uh, and I serve as the uh, president of uh, the African Ancestral Neuroscience Research Initiative. Uh, have many experiences in Baltimore, and for your listening audience, I encourage you to get involved, to get engaged. Uh, people don't realize that Baltimore is a college town. Uh, per capita, it's number seventh on the list in terms of, in its domicile, number of universities and colleges uh, here. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, our distinction is that we have two historic black colleges and university also in our uh, domicile. So. Uh, uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, I have my colleague and friend and and partner uh, who is uh, will introduce himself next. Thanks, Reverend Al. So I'm Daniel Weinberger. Um, I am a physician. I am a, here at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, but I am the director of the Lieber Institute for Brain Development, which is a basic neuroscience research institution affiliated with Johns Hopkins. I'm also a professor of psychiatry, neurology, neuroscience, and genetics here at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. I was a Johns Hopkins undergraduate quite a while ago. When I was at Johns Hopkins, it was a male school only. Um, So obviously the landscape is very different now. And, um, you know, I'm very excited to be able to talk with you a little bit about how we've gotten involved really with the um, African-American community in Baltimore and trying to advance a scientific agenda of great public health import. So my first question for you guys is how did this research initiative start? How did you guys meet? How did everything like come together and what indicated that there was a need for this? So maybe I can just get started on how we got together with Reverend Al, because that was the critical step in making this something other than, you know, a backroom conversation among a group of scientists. So the Lieber Institute Brain Development studies how genes in the environment influence the development of human brains and these developmental trajectories that veer off the optimum trajectory for adapting to the vagaries of human life and illnesses, et cetera. And we get donations of human brains. Um, from medical examiner's offices, five different centers around the country. And medical examiner's offices do autopsies on people who die unexpectedly. So we don't, you know, if any person that has unexpected death, which can even be in a car accident, um, is a medical examiner's case unless they decide not to 
pursue an autopsy. So the, the, most of these are unexpected deaths, and we have asked for donations of these brains from the next of kin of the people who die. And this is a very difficult, stressful thing because these requests for donations for biomedical research about brain development and disease are asked within 24 hours of the death of a loved one that was totally unexpected. So it's, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a challenging thing to do. And over the course of years, we've gotten donations from over 700 African-American families. Um, and in fact, the donation rate is no different, whether in individuals of Af African ancestry or European ancestry or Asian ancestry. And we realized that we had done very little with this, with these ancestry based brain donations. And we also realized that ancestry is a big factor in human illness, both susceptibility to illness and resilience to illness. So obviously there are many well-characterized examples, sickle cell anemia, for example, is obviously much more prevalent in individuals of African ancestry, in individual European ancestry. And that's probably not an accident because that was probably a mutation that built in resilience to malaria. That was the whole, the reason that the sickle cell trait emerged, you know, millions of years ago, probably in some early ancestor um, and that those people could survive um, malaria. But of course, there was a downside to having sickle cell anemia. And there are many other examples of this. Alzheimer's disease may be twice as frequent in the African ancestry community, but the main gene associated with Alzheimer's disease in European ancestry communities has much less effect on risk in African ancestry communities, meaning that the, these ancestral genomes mod, modify the effect of other disease factors. Parkinson's disease is half as frequent in African-American communities. We have no understanding of that. So, you know, all ancestral groups have some illnesses that they're more susceptible to, have other illnesses that they're less susceptible to. And we realized that this was an under explored area of science. We've known from all these genetic studies that started with the Human Genome Project 40, 30 years ago, that individuals of African ancestry have been almost as a rule, not included in many of these very large scale genetic studies. And most of the genetic revolution medicine now has been based mainly on European ancestry genetics. So having this background, that there was clearly a, a disparity in brain research related to individuals of African ancestry, and us having donations of 700 brains, we realized that we needed to take on this, this need and this neglected area of science. And we, we were introduced to Reverend Dr. Alvin Hathaway by a, by a, by a, uh, a friend that we all shared who got very interested in this. And we felt that, the, that Dr. Reverend Alvin Hathaway was, was the critical individual to take this from just some laboratory in the, you know, at, at Johns Hopkins into, a, into the public health arena, which would not only become relevant to the, to the community here in Baltimore, but would also probably elevate 
way beyond what we can do in the laboratory, awareness of how much this has been neglected and how important it is to understand why ancestry matters in human health. So that's the background. And then the Rev took it from there, basically. And maybe Renal can tell you how this has gone. I, I'll be happy just to share. Um, yeah, my, my basic training is in um, uh, urban ministry. Uh, trained at the St. Mary's Seminary, uh, Harvard Divinity School, United Theological Seminary, and I did some studies at Regent College at Oxford. And I've always been curious about uh, the intersection of faith and social justice. Uh, that has been a variable in our community for many years. Uh, we've been propelled by faith to be engaged and involved in social justice issues, uh, the civil rights movement, and you continue on and on and on. Uh, but what, what was interesting and curious is that I also have a hat that deals with community economic development. And so I've been involved in the community economic development uh, business for many years. And one of our projects in Baltimore uh, happened to be the building that housed the Libra Institute. That was one of our investments, one of our projects. We actually built that building, one of the early builders in the EBDI uh, development. Uh, we have, a, I'm, I'm a part of Harbor Bank and our bike branches located there. And so I was somewhat curious about uh, this, uh, this uh, Wolf Street building and what was going on there. Uh, then I had my friend uh, uh, who we share uh, began to talk to me about uh, the need for leveling the playing field. I had a previous experience because when President Obama was in place, he talked about the evolution of precision medicine. So we knew that we, we, we needed to be, uh, as a social justice issue, in terms of social determinants of health, we knew that precision medicine was the future as it deals with developing treatments and, uh, and cures uh, to diseases. So all of that came in. Then uh, added to that was that uh, my older brother uh, had been uh, severely I had severe mental illness all his life. And I always was curious was, could something have been done? And then I come and meet these amazing uh, professionals, scientists and professionals there at Liberty Institute. And it just, uh, I was in, I was all in. Uh, let us now advance the field. We first looked at uh, the disparity as it relates to the genomic uh, data set and said, wait, wait a minute, we need to have uh, more research in developing an Afrocentric uh, data set and uh, I think we've seen some progress in that area. And then we said, well, wait a minute. In many instances in the scientific community, when they think about evolving and research, they, think, they tend to think of the community as a check the box. Okay, okay, we're gonna do something. Now let's check the box and go talk to the community. But in this instance, Alibra was open to having a community as a partner. To, to, to craft uh, policies, to look at research in a very deliberative way. And I think we've created something that is a, I think it's gonna be a model. We have basically four pillars to what we do. We recognize community engagement as a significant uh, aspect of it. We know that you have to have training and development of future scientists and, and, and others, technicians and others in the field. Uh, then we also know that the public engagement with the scientific field is very important. As, and that also connects to real hard data science uh, research. And so these are the kind of elements that make up our African Ancestry Neuroscience Research Initiative. And we've had some successes uh, that, that we'd like to discuss with you as well.
I mean, one of the things that I think is very important that Reverend Al initiated was a, was a real partnership with Morgan State University. So we're now, we have had students from Morgan State. We have a formal, um, you know, um, partnership with them. I was just told today, by the way, Rev, I don't know if you know this, that, you know, we have several members of the Lieber Institute who are faculty members now at Morgan State. And right. one of the professors at Morgan State, who's a Lieber Institute, who's an associate professor here at Johns Hopkins, was asked to be on the search committee for a new chair of neuroscience. At wow. State, which is, I think that's great. I mean, it's another example. I mean, these kinds of bridges are long overdue. I mean, it's just so long overdue. It's ridiculous. And um, so we're hoping that we're, you know, we're going to, you know, build a series of a very deep uh, relationship. We're going to hopefully have PhD students come here from Morgan State. Um, and, that, and that's going to happen as time goes on. I mean, I'm just touting Reverend Al's horn because this wouldn't have been possible without him. But, you know, he also managed to get Governor Hogan to um, support the work of the African Ancestry Neuroscience Research Initiative which is pretty significant that Governor Hogan put a supplementary allocation specifically for this into his budget for 2022, which was a substantial sum. Um, we got a, uh, a very generous gift from a philanthropist from Brown Financial Management in Baltimore. Uh, we got a grant from the Abel Foundation, which is another Baltimore-based foundation to do this. I think this is the tip of the iceberg I mean, we're working very yes. hard this year to think about how we really, we're doing a lot of research, by the way. So, you know, as Reverend Al mentioned, I mean, we, we can't do this without a community engagement. We can't do this without bringing, you know, really, we, we want to bring Black scientists into this world because it's not just understanding, you know, how ancestry influences brain development and resilience and susceptible disease. We also need to expand the community of scientists that work in these, in these spaces, because it's, you know, it, it just needs to be much more representation. So that's one of the major initiatives we have with Morgan state. We should do it with Hopkins too, by the way, there's no reason. Not to. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and also University of Maryland, yeah, I think I think one of the things that uh, has been significant has been, uh, in many instances, sometimes when you think in terms of social justice and advocacy, you almost think it from from the perspective of confrontation. You have to confront something to make changes. In this instance, I think we've developed a model of collaboration where there were mutual shared interests, and I think that's important when you realize that if we're going to make advancements and gains, it has to be a kind of negotiated. It has to be collaborative. It has to be in relationship. And I think that it's important that we open up opportunities for uh, persons of African-American uh, descent to be engaged in all aspects of research, uh, technology, uh, technician, uh, uh, medical development. Uh, tomorrow, just think about it. Tomorrow, I hate to date this uh, podcast, but there's going to be a 12-year-old African-American uh, young lady who's, who's, who's going to go to med school. Uh, and we need to find that talent. That talent is all over America. I know it's here in Baltimore. And through one of the efforts, we hope to identify that talent. And you are one of the persons who we have an eye on that. That's actually a great point, by the way. That's really a great point because, you know, when, when, when 
the science is communicated in a way that people can hear it, it will generate a lot more enthusiasm of people in your generation, you know, to, 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 to see science as something really appealing and, and challenging and fascinating. I mean, it's, these are, these are, you know, the exploration of basic truths about human biology. This is tremendously fascinating. You know, we've had many conversations, Reverend Al and I, about just trying to help people understand why, how meaningful it is from a scientific point of view to appreciate how African ancestry in a particular is the foundation of human evolution. I mean, you know, we talk about African ancestry, but the fact is all modern humans are of African ancestry. It's just a question of how recent that ancestry was. But we're all of African ancestry. And, you know, there are so many different groups that, that emerged from Africa at different times, and they moved to different parts of the world, and they formed part, you know, they formed families which built in different physical traits that are fundamentally very superficial that made people look different but people are different you know they're not we're all different with different personalities we have different ways we respond to positive and negative things that we experience and this is biological as much as so psychological and social and um by understanding which is from a scientific point of view very important by understanding the earliest modern human genomes and how they relate to what we talk about as human disease. We're gonna, this will help us understand disease, not just in African ancestry individuals, but in all people, because this, these are the genomes that, that became the basis of how human beings evolved. So this is tremendously important um, beyond just how important it is to level the playing field. It's important because it's going to reveal fundamental truths about human biology that we won't be able to really understand without including old ancestries in that, in that study. And of course, you know, you can make, I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, Asian ancestries have been neglected also. One of the things that the Lieber Institute for Brain Development has really tried to invest in is having diverse ancestries available so that we can try to better understand how different groups did and did not, um, you know, interact with each other over time, over many, many generations. And the way interactions happened was sharing of genes. That's how interactions occurred. And that's how we all became different. We also have, we have donations from the indigenous North American population, which are the first time that's ever been available for research. So, I mean, hopefully we'll be able with time and with the help of students like you, be able to sort out, you know, a lot more of understanding how our genomes, which are unique to each of us, um, have some relationship to where, where we started and what the implications that are for how we how how health how healthy we are. Yeah, this is so encouraging and inspiring to hear because um two things that have been coming up a lot in what you guys have said so far is collaboration with the community and also communication with the community. And I think that 
that is so like communicating is important in any aspect of life, but especially with science and how we've seen it kind of play out with the pandemic, how, um, how little communication there is between the scientific community and the general public at large. So it's great to see that um, the Libra Institute isn't just like, okay, well, this is what we want to do. And when we're done, we'll tell the community about it. But no. you guys are actively seeking part parts of the community or like people in the community to partner with you and not just like tell them like as you go along, but also like have them play a role in that. And through that, you're opening up so many opportunities for college students, grad students, uh, professionals, and like people and regular people in the community as well. And so inspiring to hear that and just very so cool <laughs> for lack of a better phrase let me just say cool. let me just say that from my uh, approach as a member of the faith community uh i i get to see a broad diverse aspects and personalities in our community i'll give an example uh the late uh, dr levi watkins who was a cardiologist uh, was a member of our church uh and i never forget sitting with him he says we understand everything about the heart, uh, but we don't understand the brain. And, I, and, I, and, I, and that has always stuck with me. Uh, now, as I, as I think we're going to have the good fortune of having uh, one of the members of our church, one of our young, young men who grew up within the, uh, our faith community, is going to be the new uh, medical director for, uh, for Baltimore City in the state of Maryland, uh, Dr. Babatunde Stokes. And so from, from the lens of a faith leader, you get to see a fabric of a community in a unique way. And to have a faith leader uh, connecting with a research institution uh, in this area, I think really bridges uh, many of the uh, chasms that we once had between uh, gown and town, between research and the community. And, uh, and that's what's been so exciting for me has been the doors that we've been able to open as well as the as, as, as the understanding of how significant, uh, particularly in this instance, uh, genetics is as it relates to the human personality and the human being. I mean, we, we are alike. I mean, that, that's the most amazing thing to discover. We're 9% alike. So then immediately I said, that, Danny, you're my brother. We're, we're that, that alike. <laughs> it's totally true. It's totally true. We're probably fourth cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I think, you know, I think the issue of the other thing we're very tuned into, and we talk a lot about this, is the environment obviously affects how our brains work. You know, the environment affects ev how every cell in our body works. And, you know, we, that you hear a lot about this, this thing called epigenetics, which everybody talks about now, which is basically about how environmental experience modifies the machinery that turns genes on and off in your cells. It's not something you inherit. It's, it is a molecular machine that regulates how genes get turned on and off. And so we know that the epigenetic machinery, that is how, you're, the, how you develop this machinery is critically dependent on early life experience. This is another major issue that we're very focused on is understanding how the environment in the first few years of life disproportionately affects this kind of epigenetic landscape, we call it. Um, and we know that there are major issues in particularly inner city communities in early life exposures to stress. Um, and actually, Reverend Allen and I had dinner a couple of weeks ago with the 
director of the Kennedy Krieger Institute here at Johns Hopkins. And they have a new institute now about the neuroscience of early childhood stress. And this is going to be a huge issue. And we're so, you know, the, the brain science um, has allowed us to be able to ask the question because we do get the, you know, we, we do get a number of children's brains, which usually happen because of accidents, which are very tragic and unfortunate, but they do happen. And so we can look at the epigenetic landscape, we call it, how this machinery changes across different stages of life. And it's very clear that in the first five years of life, this stuff that we call the epigenetic machinery is most sensitive to what's happening in the environment compared to what's happening to you later in life. And that's going to be, and then of course we, we know that this epigenetic machinery is driven by ancestry. When I say ancestry, I mean our genomes. I mean, our genomes, each of our individual genomes is something we've inherited from all these past ancestors in little pieces. And so we know that this business of how the environment affects you is, is very much based on what's there in your genome to be affected by the environment when it's going to affect you. So this is another big thing. I mean, you know, we know that we need to focus a lot of attention on early childhood environments um, to minimize what are likely to be relatively longstanding effects of particularly very severely adverse early childhood environments. And this is not just about the brain, by the way, this is very clear now that this, hap this happens in almost every cell in your body that the epigenetic machinery has changed. And this is why severe early life stress is associated with heart disease, with diabetes, with lung disease, with many, many illnesses, maybe even cancer, um, because you're reprogramming these cells to have a different way of experiencing the molecules that they will be exposed to because the cells in your body, you know, they don't really know what's going on down the block. They, they know what's going on in your blood. So if you're under a lot of stress, there's all kinds of chemicals that, that are, that are changing in your blood. All these immune factors that we talk about in COVID stress factors, and they modify this epigenetic machinery. So this is another major, major um, area of interest. There's no question that we, we have to take these first few years of life from the point of view of how stress and untoward circumstances influences um, the genome at that time of life. So. Yeah. And it's great that you guys are considering, um, you're not ruling out like, like knowing that stress is a big important factor in this that you're not just saying okay like we'll look at that later we need something that's like no stress and we're just going to focus on this one thing because again it's like you said there's so many different factors that come to play in one's health and like ancestry early childhood development years and um other like epigenetic factors like you said i mean you know there's also been a huge amount written now about people in your age group and the stress that they're under partly because of COVID and many other things happening in the world. I mean, and I'm sure you've seen this. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot more mental distress um, in your, your age group now than there was 10 years ago. Uh, there is regrettably many more cases of suicide. 
I mean, that's another, you know, there's obviously, and the, these, these extreme stress circumstances do have biological effects. They're not, they don't just bum you out and make you feel really bad. They have biological effects on you. As you well know, people are, people now talk, it's almost a buzzword when they want to talk about trauma-informed care. And, and so uh, now you find that as a buzzword, people are looking to uh, how, do we, how do we develop uh, 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 avenues by which we recognize that and, and help people in terms of dealing with it, dealing with trauma. But, but I, I'm also involved in the Hit uh, Start program. Uh, I have 215 children uh, that uh, we've been involved with Head Start since 1966. So I get to see it at, at age three and four and understand in children the need to affirm, a need for them to have a safe place, a need for them to be excited about learning. Uh, th these kinds of uh, factors we know are very important in the development of children. And so I think that we have an interesting dynamic here where through the African Ancestry Research Initiative, we're, not, we're able not only to look at science, but also understand and interpret it as we live out and act out our lives and get involved and engage within the community as well. It helps us uh, be better practitioners in the community. That's a very key point, by the way. It really is a key point. This has to be a nidus for something that moves way beyond just what are, what are scientific projects. I mean, those are a piece of this of this whole larger um, enterprise. Who makes up this team and how have you integrated the support of students and also the community? Like, do you have like weekly meetings with the community or do you have certain like community leaders like Reverend Hathaway that you speak with and kind of um, collaborate and come up with like next steps and reviews of how things are going so far? Rev, you want to take that? Yeah, I have to take that. You, you know, it's interesting and, and uh, uh, first, first there was, uh, I, just, they, I think there were about four of us uh, sitting around the table. Uh, and then we looked up and then there were about 20 of us sitting around. Uh, then the next thing we know, we looked up and then there's a uh, historic back college and university sitting at the table. Uh, then we looked up and there was the state of Maryland and there was the, uh, 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 you know, so this, this has been evolving, I think, very strategically. Right. I think it's been Evolving as it relates to developing depth. I look up and I, I have now a, uh, an intern that's a uh, graduate uh, student uh, from Morgan as a part of this process. Uh, we have uh, 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 Morgan, I got to give it to Morgan because when we made the pitch to them to be a partner, uh, they understood what it meant to have this kind of partnership and to begin to place and, and really adjusted their strategic plan to include neuroscience as a strategic objective. And so that came about out of this conversation. So Morgan, which is in close proximity to uh, where we are located at Libra, now has purchased a, uh, a Lake Clifton High School and seek to develop that as a center for uh, urban health and a center for their, their neuroscience research. So it, it began by just an idea. It began by people who were energetic and now I think if we were to look at the numbers of people, hate to quantify, uh, but there are, there are, there are clearly uh, hundreds of persons now engaged in some way. Some don't even know they're engaged. Uh, for example, we're, we're working with Morgan on a, uh, on a submittal. Uh, uh, we submitted it to NIH. Well, we're gonna take a, a block in a community 
and we're going to look at all of the uh, issues that uh, deal with uh, social determinants of health. And we're going to seek to uh, ameliorate those uh, issues in a particular community and see what is going to be the outcome with when we reduce those kinds of trauma-inducing uh, elements uh, in terms of uh, uh, persons that live in that community. Uh, so it's, it's just been, been ongoing. We, we've, uh, we, we've placed in a uh, response to a, uh, to a letter of interest where we were able to engage Johns Hopkins University, University of Maryland, Baltimore, Morgan State University, Libra, along with the African ancestors, to, to create in the city of Baltimore a bio city hub. And so, so it's been this view of what are the big things we can do, but also what are the strategic steps that we can make to really build out this, uh, this initiative in a real way so that it is sustainable. Yeah, that is so cool to hear. And so um, kind of going off of that, how do you, we've touched on like, you mentioned depth, Dr. Hathaway, and it's clear to you that there are many different tenants of this, but also there's depth to it. And how do you see the, um, I guess, solution? Like, obviously there's research that you guys are performing and you guys will kind of determine your findings, but how, and they're clearly more than just one way to address all these issues. Um, but I guess, what do you see like the starting steps towards the solutions um, for addressing these um, health disparities, these social determinants of health and um, like reducing trauma for, for like their health benefits and other things like that? How do you kind of see that playing out? I would say, uh, and I take the first stab, Danny. I think, I think for me, the uh, the in the end line is when we have persons such as you, uh, students that will be listening to this podcast, realize that they do not operate in isolation. Uh, that their scientific research, their studies that they do, they are part of a broader community, and the community is cheering you on and in, and embracing your talents and skills uh, to realize that you have place in the community. Where, where your ideas, you might seem esoteric that you want to be an oncologist, but no, that's important to the life and the health of our community. And I think, I think if we can create an environment where there is a synergy between the research community and the community itself and the HBCUs and major universities, when we can create that, what I would call the beloved community, I think that's when we have uh, accomplished our goals. Yeah, I would second. I would second that. Absolutely second it. I mean, I've always felt that science is one of the ways to reduce stigma, uh, many different types of stigma, because it it, it changes the the conversation. You know, it, it just provides information that changes the conversation. So I think that's what the science is hoping to achieve here. By the way, we're also very optimistic that there are going to be some major discoveries here with very significant public health implications. I mean, we're, we really believe that this is where the cutting edge of science is right now in brain research to understand how genomes bias the development and function of our brains. I mean, because that's a major factor in it. And there's been very little real hard research to, to, in, to you know, explore those questions. But I do think that the science is catalytic in changing people's view of who they are and how they relate to a much bigger world than, than, than their own personal experiences. So I think it's, and as I think as Reverend Al says, I mean, the synergies between the, the agendas 
the social agenda, the economic agenda, and having hard science as part of what is what the conversation is, I, I think it, it just adds strength to all the possibilities. Also, I should mention, I mean, Reverend Al is, you asked this question, I mean, you, you have constructed a steering committee, it may not be yes. totally formed yet, but there is a steering committee that meets regularly to talk about where we're going with the, with the, what we, the AANRI and, and think about new, new directions we might go. But we're, you know, I think, you know, we would love to have people like you interested in this and, and people in your, you know, in your age group interested in this. Yeah, we, we, we did a, we did a, uh, we did a podcast uh, with uh, uh, Blacks in uh, Neuroscience. And they were they were they were neuroscientists uh, literally all across the world that was a part of that podcast. Uh, we have a uh, one of our members of our advisory board, uh, Dr. Kav Tarazi, uh, is from Duke University and is going to be on an upcoming panel at the White House uh, talking about this same subject. Uh, so I, I think uh, we are we are we are we are rapidly seeing talent who recognizes that yes, I may be in the scientific field, but I also need to make certain that I am connected to the community in a very real way that the language is interpreted so that so that the research doesn't seem that it's over and above or against but that it's with and i think we're looking to do to make certain it's with the community it's actually a great point by the way because for too long it's been against yeah it's not been with but yeah that's a very good point that's also been unfortunately you know some of the very unfortunate history of the way the African-American yes. community has been part of the research landscape. It has not been something that's been directed at, at the interest of that community. Yeah, so how have you guys kind of um, combated that? I'm, I'm assuming with the community partnership and having someone like Dr. Hathaway, you've been able to um, kind of encourage the community that this, like the science isn't, now at least science is not against you guys, but it's for you guys. We wanna work with you guys and like you have a part in, like you have a place in the science community and you're not just someone we're just gonna use and toss kind of thing. Exactly. You know, I think, I think, I think, I think I have to say that I'm, uh, what is encouraging to me is that um, though my discipline is different, my discipline is philosophy and religion. Uh, I had to still go through the discipline of research. I had to, had to write a dissertation. I had to go before a committee. I had to do all of those things. And I think that that allowed me to understand the discipline that research scientists uh, have to undergo and the rigors of that. But I think more importantly, uh, uh, I think we have to create language uh, that is uh, understandable and that we translate uh, unique terms that are in the research field, but, but translate them so that people in the community can understand them and, and can internalize them and can recognize that they are significant and meaningful. Now, so so I think we've got a, we've got a um, uh, we've got a unique opportunity here, because this opportunity uh, uh, has uh, equal partnerships. As I said earlier, that we have uh, community voices at the table. We have uh, historic black colleges and universities at the table. We have a major uh, a research uh, institute at the table, and we have uh, other stakeholders at the table. And we're all now instead of saying. You know, I got it all, you don't have it, or I got it, you need it. We're saying, how can we figure this out in a way that in 
advances and improves the quality of life of the people we all love. And I think that's a unique way to look at the research. So how do you, um, I guess, communicate these findings to, and like what you're doing as well to the community? Like obviously this podcast is potentially one way that you guys are doing that right now, but um, what are other methods that you use to communicate with the community? There's a whole body of, uh, of uh, uh, if you Google African Ancestry Neuroscience Research Initiative, you'll find there's a whole body of work there where we've been uh, before many different audiences, uh, many different publications. Uh, I, think, I, think the, I think what we attempt to do to communicate is that we be transparent at every stage and step of what we do. And so when you, when you reached out, it was, if you, you know, it was an enthusiastic, yes, uh, let's arrange, let's right. You know, it wasn't that you you weren't representing 60 minutes and we say, no, nah, that's not 60 minutes. Oh, no, you are you are just important to communicate and influencer as any other. And I think that's that's the sensitivity that we have in terms of communicating the work that we have. Everybody's important. Everybody can be involved. Everybody has place. I should point out that there was a piece that the PBS NewsHour did on the yeah. SSU Neuroscience Initiative. Reverend Al was a major figure in that. So that was Judy Woodruff. That was about a 10 minute piece yeah. they did. Yeah. It has been, there's been a lot of public, a lot of communication. Yeah, a lot of publicity. The other thing to remember is this is relatively early on in the evolution of this thing. I mean, we, you know, we will be, every question you've asked, by the way, are the kinds of questions that we're also asking. And these are, this is part of where we're, you know, developing the, the trajectory of this initiative. This is very early in its history. We're hoping that we're hoping that before the end of the summer, the first major scientific publication will come from this, which will generate a new head of steam and will lead to a lot of other conversations. And I think, you know, we're, we're hoping that part of the value of that, just like Reverend Alice said, it's going to build a, a tighter bridge with Morgan State. There are other, you know, historic black colleges and universities that we've interacted with that we think will, that will build stronger bridges with those institutions as well. So we're really very much in, in the startup phase of this. Uh, yeah. But we're very committed to this being a long reign, a long term perspective. We have a lot of work, we have, obviously. Uh, Dr. Hildreth, who's the president of uh, Murray uh, uh, College, was uh, one of our uh, keynote speakers in a seminar that we have. Uh, one of our key uh, persons are now at uh, Texas a and I mean, it's, it's expanding and it's growing. Uh, and you are, you are very astute uh, to have us on early uh, as, a, as a, a part of your past podcast. One question that I always ask on this podcast is, um, Again, part of the reason why I started this is to kind of find out what issues are um, being dealt by, like with the people who live in Baltimore, what issues they're facing and dealing with and what is currently being done to help those issues or what needs to be done and how I, just a, a random person in Baltimore could help. Um, so for people who are listening, what is one way that they can help uh, the AANRI, but also just in general um, for your larger um, mission and cause? Like, what is one way that we can help with that? Well, I can speak for the Libra Institute for Brain Development. I mean, obviously, we're eager for people to be interested in this. And, um, you know, we're happy to have people visit and have us 
provide them with more information about the science yeah. and what the possibilities are here. I mean, I think Reverend Al can speak to how people can be engaged with the community effort as part of ANRI. But I think overall, you know, the more interest there is by people who have your energy, interest, and spirit, you know, the more this will be an asset to the ANRI. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that uh, uh, one one of the one of my aspirational goals is that the student population uh, that makes up the seven kind of uh, colleges and universities uh, in our uh, Baltimore area see themselves in the community, but see themselves connected to to to, to organizations like this. Uh, we need your energy. We need your ex. We need your curiosity. Uh, we need your talent. And I think that I think that uh, we we are we have been very intentional in in connecting with colleges and universities. We're very intentional. I mean, you you are a person that that maybe as we think about uh, communication to uh, to your particular constituency, you know, could have a real role with what we do because the way you communicate is a lot different than my era of communicating. They asked me to bring out my rotary dial phone and that's, and everybody looks at me, hey, nobody do that anymore. I had a person say, you know, cash at me. I say, cash at you? I said, I just write that. So, so, but, I, but it's important that, that your generation, you know, connect with our generation and helps interpret so that your generation is informed and we're able to have a baton toss of information and data and skills and knowledge so that you don't have to start from the beginning, that you can, you can pick up from where we left off and continue the journey towards a more wholesome community and society. We want to see a lot more of you. I think that's the take home message. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I, there definitely are a lot of people um, that are like me, as you guys have said, who are very passionate about um, just helping the community and also people who specifically are in the science community who are passionate about spreading the word about it and who are not in the science community who are passionate about having science as part of their, um, I guess, aim or goal to help the community. So I'm very, again, very inspired by this and very um, excited for the future of the ANRI. Um, and I guess with that, do you guys, oh, before we end, so I also like to just give a chance for the guest speakers to kind of um, promote like the website or any social media so that people who are listening can find you guys and find out more and then eventually visit the Lieber Institute or go to one of your events. So if you'd like to just mention those right now, that would be great. Well, the Lieber Institute's website is L-I-B-D, Lieber Institute for Brand Development.org. There's a section there about the ANRI. Reverend Al is, is, is assembling a website for the ANRI, which hopefully will get done this soon. And Rev, you have some other. Yes. No, I think I think uh, I think I think the, the way you do us is uh, is to Google us. Uh, we do have a, a website, uh, org, I believe it is. But uh, but I think the more important thing is, is that they connect to your podcast, your podcast connects to us. And in that way, if there's interest, uh, we will definitely welcome you to uh, to a visit at Libra Institute. And I definitely will welcome a conversation with anyone that's interested in uh, in learning more about this. Great. And I'll have all this information in the show notes, you guys. Um, also, I would like to say, if you are listening to this, feel free to send this to friends, family members, or anyone. And 
um, as the two guys have said, just spread the word about this communication. If you haven't taken anything else away from this, communication and collaboration are the two key words from today. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you again for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Um, the work that you guys are doing is amazing, and I just can't wait to see how it develops. And hopefully I'll be able to continue to help with this and be more involved with it. Um, but yeah, are there any last words that you guys would like to give before we end? It's been a pleasure to be with you. It sure is. It's been very delightful, and uh, thank you for having us. Of course. Well, that is the end of this episode. Thank you guys for listening. And um, if you have any questions, you can always reach out. Again, show notes will be there for any information that has been mentioned and um, also timestamps as well. Um, with that, I will see you in the next episode.